Chapter 24 A Vision of the Night All these were years ago little red-coloured, pulpy infants, capable of being kneaded, baked, into any social form you choose. Carlyle Late last night, I walked along Commercial Street from Spitalfields to Whitechapel, and still continuing south down Lehman Street to the docks. As I walked, I smiled at the East End paupers, which, filled with civic pride, boastfully proclaim that there is nothing the matter with the East End as a living place for men and women. It's rather hard to tell a tithe of what I saw. Much of it is untellable. But, in a general way, I may say that I saw a nightmare, a fearful slime that quickened the pavement with life, a mess of unmentionable obscenity that put into eclipse the nightly horror of Piccadilly and the Strand. It was the menagerie of garmented bipeds that looked nothing like humans and more like beasts, and to complete the picture, brass-buttoned keepers kept order amongst them when they started to snarl too fiercely. I was glad the keepers were there, because I did not have on my seafaring clothes, and I was what was called a mark for the creatures of prey that prowl up and down. At times, between keepers, these males looked at me sharply, hungrily, gutter-wolves that they were, and I was afraid of their hands, of their naked hands, as one might be afraid of the paws of a gorilla. They reminded me of a gorilla. Their bodies were small, ill-shaped, and squat. There were no swelling muscles, no abundant thews and wide-spreading shoulders. They exhibited rather an elemental economy of nature, such as the caveman must have exhibited. But there was strength in those meagre bodies, and the ferocious primordial strength to clutch and gripe and tear and rend. And when they spring upon their human prey... They are known even to bend the victim backwards and double its body till the back is broken. They possess neither conscience nor sentiment, and they will kill for half a sovereign, without fear or favour, and if they are given, indeed, only half a chance. They are a new species, a breed of city savages. The streets and houses and alleys and courts are their hunting grounds, as a valley and mountains are to the natural savage, street and building our valley and mountain to them. Their slum is the jungle, and they live and pray in the jungle. The dear soft people of the golden theatres of the wonderful mansions, mansions of the West End, well, they don't see these creatures. They don't dream even that they exist. But they are here and alive, and very much alive in their jungle, and woe the day when England is fighting at her last trench and their able-bodied men are on the firing line, because on that day they're going to crawl out of their dens and lairs, and the people of the West End will see them, and the dear, soft aristocrats of feudal France saw them and asked one another, Whence came they? Are they men? But they were not the only beasts that ranged the menagerie. They were only here and there, lurking in dark corners and passing like grey shadows along the walls. But the women, whose rotten loins they spring from, are everywhere. They wind 
insolently, and in maudlin tones begged me for pennies and worse. They held carouse in every boozing, ken, slatterly, unkempt, bleary-eyed, and tousled, leering and gibbering, overspilling with a foulishness and corruption, and gone in debauch, sprawling across benches and bars, unspeakably repulsive and fearful to look upon. And there were others, strange, weird faces and forms, and twisted monstrosities that shouldered me on every side, inconceivable types of sodden ugliness, the wrecks of society, the perambulating carcasses, the living deaths, women blasted by disease and drink till their shame brought not tuppence in the open market, and men in fantastic rags, wrenched by hardship and exposure, out of all semblance of looking like men, their faces in a perpetual writhe of pain, grinning, idiotically shambling like apes, and dying with every step they took and every breath they drew. And there were young girls, of eighteen and twenty, with trim bodies and faces yet untouched with twist and bloat, who fetched the bottom of the abyss pump in one swift fall. And I remember a lad of fourteen and one of six or seven, white-faced and sickly, homeless, the pair of them, who sat upon the pavement with their backs against the railing and just sat and watched it all. The unfit and the unneeded. Industry does not clamour for them. There were no jobs going begging uh, through lack of men and women. The dockers crowd at the entrance gate, and they curse and turn away when the foreman does not give them a call. The engineers who have work pay six shillings a week to their brother engineers who can find nothing to do. 514,000 textile workers oppose a resolution condemning the employment of children under 15. Women, and plenty to spare, are found to toil under the sweatshop masters for tuppence a day for 14 hours. And Alfred Freeman crawls to muddy death because he loses his job, and Ellen Hughes Hunt prefers the Regent's Canal to Islington Workhouse, and Frank Carvilla cuts the throat of his wife and children because he cannot find enough work to give them food and shelter. Yes, the unfit and the unneeded, the miserable and despised and forgotten, dying in the social shambles, the progeny of prostitution, of the prostitution of men and women and children, of flesh and blood and sparkle in spirit, and in brief, the prostitution of labour. If this is the best that civilization can do for the human, then give me howling and naked savagery, far better for a people of the wilderness and desert, of the cave and the squatting place, than to be a people of the machine and people of the abyss. Mm-hmm.